in La Rochelle. As was Peter's habit, he presented the picture of the perfect Englishman abroad, very erect in his cream linen suit and Panama hat, with an MCC hat band and a matching red and yellow tie. The highly polished Malacca cane he was carrying was an affectation, there for no other purpose than to beat out a tattoo on the pavement to complement that of his heels, or perhaps to swipe a less than respectful Johnny Foreigner. Fearing he might approach and call out his name, Cal slowly raised his copy of Le Ton and pretended to read the front-page story about the continuing crisis in Czechoslovakia, though without being too obvious and hiding his whole face. He need not have worried. Peter might look and act the part of the typical milord on his travels, but he was anything but a foppish fool, and that raised newspaper seemed enough to tell him to mind what he said. He stopped a few feet away and leant on his stick, looking around the harbour with an air of obvious frustration, as though the whole place had been built and designed to in some way thwart his purpose, a pose he held until the waiter emerged with a tray bearing two tiny coffee cups and a pair of morning stiffeners, probably brandies. That the fellow was about his occupation, and there were two people waiting for their order, impinged on Peter not at all. In a loud voice and with an execrable French accent, he demanded to be told the whereabouts of the Place du Maréchal Joffre. The waiter was naturally offended, both by his peremptory manner and the level of his demand, which caused Peter to add, in an even louder voice and more intemperate manner, and one carrying the implication he was addressing a complete dolt, Je cherche l'hôtel Henri IV. Even though the waiter stopped to answer and give him directions, this did nothing to modify Peter's tone or ease the look of irritation on his face. He wore the expression of a man absolutely certain he was likely to be lied to and sent in the wrong direction, which had him reiterate the question to ensure he was being correctly advised. Finally sure of his route and the veracity of the instructions, mouthing an abrupt and graceless, Merci beaucoup, Peter imperiously wrapped his cane on the flagstones and stomped off, followed by hard looks aimed at his very erect back. He had upset the waiter and most of the customers by his attitude, but he had also given Cal Jardine directions as to where they should meet. The imperious act had also underlined the uselessness of the tale. Cal's pair of watchers, unlike everyone else in the pavement cafe, had studiously avoided reacting to the scene, neither frowning nor producing the expressive Gallic shrugs of their fellow observers at such a display of Anglo-Saxon arrogance. He would need to lose them, but in a city centred around a port that had changed little since the seventeenth century, he anticipated no problem. Ordering another coffee, in perfect French, albeit with a hint of Marseille in the accent, Cal went back to his newspaper, once more wondering what Peter Lanchester was doing here in La Rochelle, and more importantly, why he needed to make contact with him in so brash a manner, indicating a need for haste. That hinted at either danger or something very important, more likely the former, which had him reprising in his mind the precautions he had taken.
There was a cargo of Czech ZB-26 light machine guns sitting on a barge by an isolated inland farmhouse on the canal that led to the huge interior marshlands of the Marais Poitevin, and he needed to get them aboard a ship that night. In the end, speculation was wasted. He would have to meet with Peter and see what was up. So he picked up the bill from under the ashtray, extracted from his pocket enough francs to cover his purchases, plus a few coins as a pourboire, then stood slowly and stretched, like a man newly arisen from his bed. Such an act would cause no comment. It was, after all, not yet eight o'clock. Then he made a point of yawning as he looked around the active inner port, at the wooden fishing boats with their dirty beige sails now furled, at the weary-looking crews working on their nets, sniffing at the maritime and fresh fish smell of the place, before patting his jacket pockets like a man checking for his keys, folding his paper, and sauntering off. The two watchers were not far behind, but too much so for a city full of narrow alleys.